0: Hey, everyone, it's me, Ben. Thank you so much for downloading the podcast, and thank you for being so supportive of both the Nerdist Writers panel and the Thrilling Adventure Hour, which, uh, as many of you know, is running a Kickstarter campaign, and you guys have been awesome to give to. I really appreciate it. Um, This Kickstarter is to bring the Thrilling Adventure Hour into other media. We've reached our initial goal of creating a graphic novel published by Arkea Publishing, Uh, based on the worlds of the Thrilling Adventure Hour. So thank you for helping us reach that goal. Uh, Ben Acker and I are so excited to do that graphic novel. Uh, We have now opened up the first stretch goal, which is to create a web series that takes place backstage at the show, uh, and it'll star all of your favorite players from the show, people like Padgett Brewster, Paul F. Tompkins, Busy Phillips, Josh Molina, James Urbaniak, Um, so many awesome people Uh, so I would urge you if you have not given already uh, I would beseech you to please give to our Kickstarter campaign you can find out about it at thrillingadventurehour.com there's a link to the Kickstarter and there's a video and we've had uh, a lot of our guest stars do testimonials for us which have been really fun And there are a lot of cool rewards on there too uh, ways for you to kind of get involved with the show and the people in the show um, so thank you again for that continued support. You know we work hard to bring you both that podcast and this one free every week. Um, so this is you know an opportunity to thank us with uh, by donating, and which which you know is does not go unappreciated. So thanks. Here's the podcast.
1: Now entering nerdist.com. It's the Nerdist Writers panel on the Nerdist Podcast channel. Ben Blacker talking writing with writers. Writers talking writing can get pretty exciting. The talk can be lightning. It's very, very frightening. Ben Blacker talking writing with writers. Yay!
0: Welcome to the Nerdist Writers panel series, an informal chat about writing and the business and process of writing. Each and every panel benefits 826LA, the national nonprofit tutoring program. For more information on 826LA, visit 826LA.org. I'm your moderator, Ben Blacker. Follow me on Twitter at Ben Blacker. I'm the co-creator of the Thrilling Adventure Hour stage program in the style of old-time radio, available as a podcast on iTunes and via Nerdist.com. Uh, I've written for the series *Super Ninjas and Supernatural. With a background as a comedy writer, game show writer, and contributor to The New Yorker, our first panel spent several years as a writer for Late Night with Jimmy Fallon. She is currently the co-creator and writer for NBC's Guys with Kids. Please welcome Amy Ozels. A comedy writer with credits and Emmys. For The Daily Show and Saturday Night Live, our next panelist spent the past three seasons on The Office. He's currently also the co-creator of Guys With Kids, uh, as well as being co-showrunner. Please welcome Charlie Grandy. (laughs) You know him. As a comic and actor, most memorably in series such as Everybody Loves Raymond, Murphy Brown, Dr. Katz, Professional Therapist, uh, as well as a writer for Seinfeld and most recently Disney's Handy Manny, he is the author of the Kindle single My Seinfeld Year, which you guys should absolutely check out. It's really great. And the writer and star of the independent film Fred and Vinny, a Slam Dance 2011 selection. Please welcome Fred Stoller. Hi, Fred. Hey. I'm glad we finally got you in this room. Finally,
2: he was about to defriend me.
0: <laughs> never, never. Uh, and finally, a UK comic and performer, uh, our final panelist, with his writing partner, wrote several episodes of Flight of the Concords before creating their own series, The Inbetweeners, which ran for three series on E4. He's also the co-writer of the Inbetweeners movie, which, upon its release, became the most profitable British film comedy. It is currently released here in the U.S, um, And I will say, uh, rarely, you know, does the great financial success come to an actual good product, uh, But the in-between hers movie and the show are both really terrific. So please welcome Ian Mars.) Mm-hmm. Thank you, guys, all. Uh, um, let's. I, I have pressing questions for each of you, so I'm going to ask these before we kind of get to the nuts and bolts stuff and the process stuff. Um, but Amy, starting with you, <laughs> who wants to be a millionaire? Oh, okay. <laughs> it's it. an, it's a, an extensive credit on your IMDb page. Yeah, I worked there for six years. Uh, what was this experience that you had? What were you doing on the show, and oh how did you God, get involved? It's such
1: a long story. Um,
0: <laughs> we got okay. nowhere to be.
1: Yeah, we might have to back up to my childhood. I, <laughs> I, I had always wanted to be a comedy writer since I was a little kid, and I had this massive detour where I went to law school, and and I practiced law for a couple of years, and I was too afraid to try writing comedy. And then 9/11 happened, and I had this big like. Like personal crisis, as a lot of people did after 9/11, and right around that time, a friend of mine who worked at Who Wants to Be a Millionaire said, "They're looking for a girl to work here. This isn't comedy, but it's TV. It's not the law. Do you want to try and do this?" So it was a way for me to jump ship out of the law into television, even though it wasn't actually a leap into comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, and what was the position that was open for which they were looking for a girl? <laughs> so you were qualified. It's, it's very important to have a female voice in trivia. Um, you know, it was. I was a writer. I wrote questions. It was a really, really fun job. It was a really fun job. But the hundred-dollar questions had to be a little funny. The hundred-dollar questions had to Remember, be a little yeah, funny. Yeah. They rarely
2: were. Right, like who? Did, and, the, and the obvious one would be right. Drew Carey.
1: Yeah, it was. They were. It was. <laughs> Who's the president? We'd write terrible <laughs> jokes for the hundred-dollar questions. I, I didn't get It joke. was. It was a fun <laughs> job. I, I enjoyed doing it. My problem personally was I just I kept doing it for mm-hmm. too long after it was challenging. I was still doing that job, but. That being said, I loved it. I had a good time. What, what was the day-to-day like for a,
0: a question writer on the show? How many of you were there?
1: Uh, there were God, six or seven of us, I oh. would say. Um, it's, it's an interesting job because the issue with that show, as you work there for a long time, is that everything has been asked before. So you have to find ways to... Recycle old information in new ways, so that 's really what the skill of the job is, as opposed to like reading a thesaurus and finding a fact and and saying like oh i 'm just going to ask that question. you have to find ways to manipulate information in ways that feels new mm-hmm. that doesn 't conflict with other stuff that 's already been written so that 's what the weird challenge of that job is. Um, it was interesting. you come in, you read the newspaper you just sort of watch stuff on the internet, look for topical stuff that hasn't been asked about. It sounds like the easiest job in the world is actually very challenging and difficult. Also, There's what's called a strap on a millionaire question. When you look at it on the screen, it's like a two-line graphic. So any question you want to ask, you have to figure out how to ask it within the space of a couple of lines. It's a little bit like Twitter in that sense. You know, like economy of expression becomes incredibly important at that job. So there were a lot of weird challenges to it that I don't think you would expect, but... Anyway, it was did a big, you learn, big chunk of my life. Did you learn things from that experience that you've taken on? I learned so many things. Uh, Do you mean like facts, trivia facts? <laughs> <laughs> no, because I learned a bunch of those, none of which I remember. Um, things I learned from that experience were that I needed to be writing comedy in order to be happy. I mean, I loved that job, sorry. but. I, it just wasn't it wasn't consonant with what I wanted to do creatively and so I learned from that that I needed to move on and do what I really wanted to do so, yeah, yeah which was a good sort of good corny lesson yeah <laughs> um, let's move on Charlie yes
0: um, we haven't had a lot of Daily Show writers here. Oh yeah? um, Tell us about writing on that show. How long were you there, and what was the experience like? You know, just uh, really again on sure. a day to day basis.
3: I was there for three years. I think two years, yeah. three years. I can't. It was. But I started. What was interesting about my time there is I started when Craig Kilborn was still hosting. So oh, really? it was a long time. No, ago. I just
2: finished reading Liz Winstead's book. How is it? It's 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 good but she leaves out why she created the show why she left the show she created oh, yeah. and I know she said one sentence it's personal but right. I I paid $24 yeah. <laughs> I want that here good Kilgorn story. and
3: she'd left right before I got there and it was very hush
0: hush <laughs> she uh, I you yeah, would I think it would be in a book but No
3: there were talking
0: What was the state of things when you got there you know, without was, the creator It
3: was good you know it felt when I got there was a little bit in autopilot and then right and then we knew Craig was leaving, and then we knew John Stewart was coming in, and at the time i'd known of John Stewart, um, but i don 't think anyone had any idea that it was going to turn into the show that it has become we you know what was great about the show for my first job is it was really run by the writers mm-hmm. uh, in a way it 's not now. I mean you could come in and you know. Kilbourne would say or do anything if, he, if it got a laugh in the writer's room. And the executive producer who was running the show at the time, Madeline Smithberg, was much the same way. If it got a laugh, it went in the show. And so that was, it was great when you're just trying stuff out and all you had to do was be as, as funny. At the time, the show, the jokes was a lot harder of a show in the sense is we would go after anyone for no reason. I mean it really just and, and so it was I now look back and it was very irresponsible I think comedy writing in terms of just you yeah you just you you know and when John came in that's how the show changed. It was like pick your targets and uh, and and pick them wisely and and don't just go after it because it's you know the the topic of the day or or because it seems a little funny to you just really kind of think about it. Um, and uh, so it was incredibly informative um, for, you know, just kind of the, the, a young writer to come in. Sure. And,
0: what, uh, what were some of those lessons that you've taken well, with you to subsequent it jobs? It
3: really is just sort of, um, is this a, yes, this is funny, is it a joke worth making? Uh, you know, especially when you're airing things. I think in a writer's room, writer's room are open places. I think you should feel free to say whatever you want, any joke. In, in a writer's room, but then, what do you actually want to broadcast, and, and does it fit in with the with the tone of the show? Charlie and, is and super uh... racist. <laughs> <laughs> Only in writer's
0: rooms. <laughs> 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 You're free to there. What's that? You're free to. Do I, that. Yeah, I guess so. Um, yeah.
1: We don't talk about it.
0: What, no. And what was the day to day like on that show? What yeah. kind of, I, I, out of curiosity, what kind of hours did you guys? Keep? It wasn't. It wasn't that bad. It was fun. You'd get
3: in, um, I think around nine, and you'd have a, a staff meeting. Every writer was assigned a new So it was your job to go through the paper and circle it. I think I did the uh, Daily News or something like that. And you, you just kind of pitch stories and you try to, you know, figure out what stories you're going to do. And then you just would go off and you'd write jokes. And if there was a larger piece, you could do off that. And, again, the format has changed a lot over the time. I mean, it used to be much more you'd just sit and uh, Craig or then John would read the stories. The field pieces were not as integrated into the show. Correspondents weren't as integrated into the show. But that was what was fun about that two-year run after John was there is it just all changed. And we went to the... Um, the conventions in 2000 for the first time and really Gosh. did a, a, a big job on that. And that's when we started
0: to get noticed, and it was exciting. And it was and it was only then that you guys started working with the correspondents? We, you'd the always kind of, of worked with them, those. but
3: it was, again, it was, you know, it used to be... Um, you know, it was, it was dubbed in, you know, the office is sort of freak of the week. It was who's the craziest person you can find and go out and ridicule them. And I don't know if you can get your hands on, like, some of the early pieces done by Whitney Brown or Brian Unger, but they're really uncomfortable. And, and it's really, you're just like, these people do not deserve to be made fun of. And, um, you know, but that was the tone. And that was kind of what the show was. Um, up until John came in and, and, and changed it it was you know it was a rough transition of him kind of a lot of it too was him sort of he had a vision for the show that was different from what a lot of us had been used to writing mm-hmm. and uh, once everyone got on board though it was, you know again there 's no denying the success and sure. it, be, it went from being kind of the basest form of writing to the absolute highest form <laughs> of,
0: of writing. well, I was curious about that too. I mean, <laughs> I imagine there was feedback uh, during this transition period about. Not just the kinds of targets, but the sort of jokes that were being written. Uh, was that a, what kind of learning curve was that? Well, for in, you?
3: internally it was a it was a very steep and fast one. Basically, John came in, and I can, you know I can I know exactly when it happened. We did. Uh, and it's like you still now even looking back you can't believe we did jokes when Dana Plato died we did jokes about it and I still can't look back it's like really that at one point was a story that was pitched and it's like oh yeah that will be funny and it was the kind of thing that worked when when Craig did the show and and you know got a .4 rating and that was just the tone and I remember we did it and after that show there's just John said no more this is we're not doing this anymore and it was you know it was a, a humbling experience and a learning experience and you just, you know, to this day you feel badly about it. And, uh, you Do know. you have
1: anything you want to say to Dana Plato's family While we're here <laughs> I'm, I'm,
3: I'm sorry, I don't think I got any jokes on <laughs> Well, you're, you're off the
0: hook then Yeah, yeah, exactly uh, Good, we'll, we'll pick up here uh, sure. Fred I brought the room down
1: So
3: All yours, yours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I
0: was actually going to say her son died, I think so. uh Could really bring it more down Oh my god <laughs> yeah.
3: Okay, I now I'm off the hook all right. Yeah, I,
0: I ruined it <laughs> Um, Fred, I want to I want to talk about um, the Seinfeld stuff that I read in the book, but before I do. Uh we, we ran into each other the other day, and you mentioned how you came to write these Handy Manny episodes, <coughs> yeah, uh, which I yeah. thought
2: was What so other fun? guy has his career goes from Seinfeld to Handy Manny for
0: three-year-olds, <laughs> hey, Ten, 12 years later? My kids love uh, it. They it's love it. Good, good. It's, it's, more popu- it's the only popular thing on TV now. <laughs> monkey Wrench. What happened was... Um, how many episodes uh, as Monkey Wrench have you done?
2: <laughs> I, I've done, you know, I, I went the whole run, but the reason I wrote is the showrunner scared me. I was going to get let go. He would like to taunt me because um, I guess he's not a well man. I don't know. It was all these animation millionaires, Colossals Rocky, Tom Kenny, you know, and I'm this guy. So you see, I put myself down so people kind of provoke me. He goes, we got renewed. Everyone except Rusty. These are tools <laughs> that talk. And, and he'd go, well, he'd show me diagrams. We're bringing in new tools. I don't know. So like he, he got a kick out of like, because I seem like a nervous guy. That's I figured out late in life, you get taunted. If you seem nervous, then you're an easy mark. So. So, um, so he would say, uh, oh, so we're, we're, we're going to do that special. Not all of us. So so I started, um, he, uh, it's a schmuck, this guy, And after uh, four and a half years. So then I would like go, uh, could I maybe write episodes? So I would write everyone with Rusty in it, even though <laughs> and rationally I knew I wasn't going to get written out. But he would show me all the you know, the, the diagrams, or bring in a saw, an electric one. <laughs> and so I would write these things. And it gave me something to do. I walk around aimlessly a lot, the Grove, and so I would think, you know, uh, <laughs> what what could the ha- handy manny fix? And I once saw there was a, there's a pretzel thing kiosk, mm-hmm. so I, I had an idea like birds chip away the pretzel, and because they're stupid, they're birds, they, they they don't know it's a fake pretzel, so we take fix that it. birds, yeah. So that was no room. You just call up this guy who was kind of mean mm-hmm. in his house, <laughs> and then you just work on it. But then he, I bumped. Met at Tom Kenny's wedding, and I told him I'm writing this thing. I left his name out, and he goes, "Well, yeah, I, I did like to taunt you, so he <laughs> well, can. But he's it. a good guy, but so because so... he may be doing another show. <laughs>
0: <laughs> There's always animation, but, but that,
2: there, there was no residuals in animation. No, no you just um, just do it. It's like doing a TV guide crossword puzzle, it, but it's actually
0: harder than you think. Well, I was going to ask three-year-olds because you, cause you had
2: done. Yeah. They don't have. They don't know concepts of being nervous or. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or like human emotions, like you yours, it's adolescence, and it's more like a kid, and everything is politically incorrect. I grew up with Miguel Guerrilla, like, you know, they're shooting at him, and, you know, and he's, you know, and they go, oh, the Orientals, you know what I mean? I mean, re- literally. I mean, so this is, oh, he can't stand by this street. Let's all do this together. So it was really hard just trying to get something, you know, and it was this big committee that you'd hand in an outline, and you know, they look at it, and and you had to throw Spanish words in arbitrarily. And, uh, how did you wait? How did you work that in? Well, it's 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 not. By I apologize. Language. I it's haven't seen the episode. Like, something called Spanglish. Like, let's, I'm I'm handsome. Like, I learned some words. So you'd have to do it. And you know what the hardest part of the script was? You had to have like a concurrent word. And even though it wasn't, it wasn't in the uh, thing. You had to come up with the word of the day. That's and, and yeah. You had to
0: invent that
2: Yes, and so, so you had to throw in Spanish words And you had to be nice And, <laughs> and, and all these notes Like if a woman If a girl spins around that's dizzy Like I had an idea about drinking um, The house Something of ice cream Of milkshakes You know, Where the premise was We built a sign, 32 milkshakes Oh wow, I only have 30 What do we do? Mm-hmm. And I have to invent one But it had to be smoothies because milkshakes are bad.
1: <laughs>
2: oh, Because sure. so, oh, like you know. like
1: kids are fat now? One of Not, them had to be smoothies?
2: Yeah, yeah, because uh, milkshakes is oh. a... You know it's weird with kids shows? Because you go from this leap of we're nice, don't get dizzy, and then right away they go to Spongebob and I, then I did Penguins of Madagascar where people smack each other and they're jealous mm-hmm. and they take they all the acorns. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? The kids, I noticed, because they, they liked Handy
0: Manny, then overnight that's for babies, yeah. they get mad. Yeah, because it it's a little younger than SpongeBob, which our oh yeah, our yeah, yeah. Mutual friend Andy Paley always says, yeah, it's yeah, for yeah. little kids and stoners. Yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> you know? But I'm so saying it's a big, a it's elevated. not a
2: gradual jump. It goes yeah. from we're nice, we did
0: this together, <laughs> to like they're spitting at each other. And um, are you interested in working in, on more imp- uh, animation as a? Writer? If I'm scared, they need my job,
2: and they're going to write me out. Um, yeah, it seems to be a thing of convenience. Like I was, I did recurring on Word Girl... Okay. And a lot of people, you don't know about these shows. Mm-hmm. So so they're there, and they go, hey, I have an idea, and they pitch it. But it's a lot of work. Yeah. It's these, like I said, 11-minute thing. It's really intensive because
0: yeah it's there not a like, lot of restrictions. Not like you glib. have to be very precise. It's not like
2: you could coast on glib dialogue.
0: You know, I'm not saying that sitcom, you know what I'm yeah. saying. Absolutely. Can't
2: be, hey, yeah, you like Ferraris. You know.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, but. That's very interesting. Uh, we'll talk about some of the other stuff okay. in a minute. Um, Ian, let's talk about the in-betweeners. Right. Um, this is a show which, uh, honestly, I should not like.
4: Um, uh, okay.
0: You know, it's... It, it, <laughs> I think we're done. Yeah. Um, because, you know, there's a lot of uh, uh, sort of crude or crass humor. Right. But there's also so much heart in this show.
4: Yeah. And it's so that honest. That was a mistake. We uh, made a mistake. That was, we were trying to go for lots more crass, but we it, had to... <laughs> we got it well, wrong.
0: Too bad. Hmm. Uh, but it's also so emotionally honest, which is amazing. I and mean, you don't always get in a show about adolescence. Uh, tell me about walking the line in writing this
4: show. Uh, I think it's just, you know, it, it was one of those things where we kind of, I think everyone sort of said the same thing that we just really, we knew those characters really well, mm-hmm. partly because they were based on us a bit, and they're based on other people, and we knew that world really well. We knew sort of suburban Britain really well. And we knew that actually, when we started thinking about the idea, it was because the newspapers in England were full of stories about. Hoodies were the big things. So, hoodies, be like hoodies. Don't go in the street. We get killed by hoodies. Hoodies are going to kill you. <laughs> hoodies are like 16, 17 year old teenage boys. And They're when was kill this? You. It's like
2: 2008, or something? Yeah, about 2002. And that, I mean, yeah, it's contemporary. Yeah,
4: now. yeah, so, it's like hoodies are going to kill you. Hoodies are going to kill you. Don't go. Out. I remember me and Damon thinking. You know what? We grew up in suburbia, and it was a similar sort of things like rave culture was a big thing. Don't go near a raver; ravers will kill you. <laughs> Don't go near. Teenage ravers are destroying the country. Don't go near. And we thought it's probably not right. Put it, they, you know, they're just it's one of the difficult things about being a teenage boy. I think is that, and obviously we didn't cast teenage boys, so we couldn't quite get this across. But the idea that somehow there's a point in your life where your body takes. Control in a way, so you're, you're sort of bigger than your mind. So you can, so you might be ha- hanging around the street corner with your friends, but actually you're six foot two, and 150 pounds, and so people see you and your friends like, fuck, you know who's that? That's a terrifying. That's a. Ter- I mean, I'm the same. I'm like now, I'm a like, terrifying group of children of mm-hmm. you know men. They're gonna. The, why are they hanging around a big group if they're not gonna do something wrong? And actually, it's because you're 16, and you can't drink, and you're just with your friends. And actually, yeah. as, it, as it happens, four or five of you have grown. To six foot, a couple of you like me, I was tiny till I was about 18. So it was kind of, it it came from that idea of thinking these guys are like other suburban guys we've always had who fundamentally aren't bad people. They're idiots, because teenage boys are idiots, (laughs) but um, they're not bad people. And so I think that's what we always did. We always looked to the storylines, we always looked to whatever we're doing. We push it a lot, I think, but we never wanted them to be doing anything genuinely bad or anything that would genuinely make you think. They're bad people. Mm -hmm.
0: But there's also, I mean, the potential for the antics
4: they get up to to seem outlandish. Yeah. uh, Though they never really do. I mean, the sad thing is that most of them happened, is the truth. A lot of them are real. Things happened to me and to Damon. (laughs) And when we wrote the film, which was about going um, abroad for a sort of lad's holiday, a classic thing that all British teenagers do, really, Uh, people told us stories. (laughs) We were like, well, we, we can't put that in a film, because that is disgusting. And, and, was, and we sort of genuinely were like, looking at, there's a couple of friends, I can think of them very clearly, who told me stories. And I was like, well, I genuinely think of you in a different way now. Because that is one of the most horrific things I've ever heard in my entire life. So it was, and it actually, there was a genuine moment when we were making the film where we thought, you know, have we pushed this far enough? Have we been we got gone extreme enough with some of the things because what people were telling us that, that they'd done mm-hmm. were even more extreme than the stuff that we put in the, in the show. So. Oh, interesting. Uh,
0: talk for a second. I know you, you talked about this on the Pop My Culture podcast, but I thought it was right. an interesting story about uh, developing the film and how you didn't intend it to be an in-betweeners movie from the start.
4: No, I think we had a thing where we, we, were on, we were kind of keen to write a film mm-hmm. and after we made the first series of the in-betweeners, it became clear that someone might give us some money to do that at some point in our lives. And we thought, OK, we've got a chance here to do this. What should we do? And we, we, we wanted to write a story about teenage boys on holidays. Because, again, it felt like another thing that we knew really well. We did four or five of those holidays ourselves. And, and so, yeah, we just kind of thought, we've got all these stories left over. We've got this vague idea. Let's try and turn that into a film. And then about a year later, we thought, oh, yeah, we spent ages casting those four people. <laughs> and there's a kind of groundswell of, of following of these people. So... Maybe it would make more sense to put those people, I and mean, we basically the characters we've written were exactly the same anyway. So it makes more sense to do a film with them. So that's what happened.
0: Um, And was was the process of writing a film uh, intimidating to you guys? I mean, you were eager to do it, but how did you approach it? it? Because it's quite
4: different from a a half hour show. Haphazard is that the word? (laughs) (laughs) Haphazard, shambolic. (laughs) Uh, No, we kind of we were we really intimidated because I think what happened is we thought to ourselves every as as we announced it was happening, every single article in the newspaper, every sort of online thing, basically said, "What a terrible idea! They're idiots! What a bad idea!" I think because it was our production company and, and, you know, we sort of created the show and everything, and we were like, oh, yeah, this might be a really bad idea. This, yeah. might, this might have been really... Uh, season four, everyone would like that. I mean, perfectly safe thing to do. We're idiots. So, and then, and then you know, we started casting um, and also just working out the crew and locations and stuff. And we'd be almost... we were like, oh, actually, basically, it's the same. So you use the same lights, you use more or less the same cameras, the editors the same. It's basically the same process. The only thing that's different, really, is the script. That's massively different because it's a different arc, it's much longer... And that was the moment when we had that conversation where we were like, oh shit, what have we done? And, and then I guess what it was about was about just trusting in what we'd done before which was writing loads of jokes and then just rewriting, rewriting, giving it to people we trust, getting notes, rewriting and getting to the point where we thought might be okay. So yeah, that was, I mean, again, it's not a particularly exciting process but that's what happened.
0: But I wonder, was there,
4: there must have been a different approach to tackling structure. As well, uh, yeah, well, yeah. I think we, I think we kind of, we, you know, both big film fans, and we had a vague sense that we wanted it to have a bit of a down point and a bit of an up point at the end. That's kind of, you know, that sort of again, you know, probably good, big start, you know, big end, bit of a bit, bit, bit where they're quite sad, and then uh, maybe a montage where they're enjoying themselves. I mean, it literally was a bit like that. So and again, I think the other thing as well is that we were quite. We didn't want it to be any longer than 90 minutes. That was, that was almost the key thing in it. We are like, this is a comedy film that's not meant to be particularly... Not meant to really question your life or have you come out of the cinema thinking this is the greatest thing you've ever seen. It's supposed to be 90 minutes of enjoyment, really. So, so that was a big... Sorry. That was a big thing as well. We were just like, we've got to try and make it 90 minutes long. So how do we structure those things we want to happen within 90 minutes? Yeah that's art that's art for you there that's how art works (laughs) it's easy you guys Um, let's go back over here to Amy
0: Uh, tell us as much as we have not had uh, Daily Show people or or Colbert people we also haven't had many late night people Uh, tell us how that works oh my
1: god where do I start um what, how did you get involved,
0: first of all? Where were you coming from?
1: How did I get involved? I was at Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, mm-hmm. um, and I had been there for six years, like I said, and, and my transition from non-comedy into comedy was the result of yet another personal crisis. Of course. So, <laughs> as, mm-hmm. as many transitions often are. Um, I'd been through a bad breakup, and my life was in the shitter, and so I decided <laughs> that I had to get a job that I cared about. I'd always wanted to write comedy, and that was right around the time that that they had announced that Jimmy would get the show. And I happened to know the showrunner, Mike Shoemaker, who came from SNL. We had some mutual acquaintances. So I basically just emailed him and I said, I don't know if you remember me, but is it okay if I submit a packet? And he said, sure, why not? Um, it was an interesting thing because there was there was no show to submit a packet for. So mm-hmm. that was sort of the beauty of it. There was no template. Mm-hmm. So I just wrote a bunch of stuff that I thought was funny. And on their end, when they were reading packets... Jimmy just read a bunch of stuff and he picked the things that he thought were funny. It wasn't like we knew sort of what jokes to target or anything like that. So, do you remember this... some of the material that you put in that pack? Oh my God, I remember. <laughs> so embarrassing. The <laughs> the bit that the bit that I wrote that I'm pretty sure got me the job was this bit called Boner TV, <laughs> where there is a, there's a giant 108 inch television on our on our set and at the time it was like the biggest television in the universe or something i don't know it was like a big deal that sharp had given it to us for free and so i guess i guess somebody must have told me that when i was writing a packet so i was like all right i'm gonna i'm gonna write a bit that works in this tv because it's so practical like we can plug the tv anyway so jimmy's sitting at the desk like trying to intro another piece and the word boner appears on the tv in like giant letters and he becomes really embarrassed, and like he can't get it to go away. They unplug it, and like the word is still there. <laughs> and the bit ends with they have to like come and just take the TV away and get a new one. I don't know. It's, <laughs> that was that was an example of the kind of That's the one white that hot gold yeah. that was in my packet. Yeah, <laughs> um, just dumb shit like that. What, and was it
0: uh, desk pieces? Was it sketches? Was it
1: monologue? God, honestly, I don't exactly remember. I feel like it was a page of really, really bad monologue jokes. Mm-hmm. Monologue jokes are so fucking hard to write. Yeah. They're so hard to write. Well, I cannot do it. To this day, I can't do it. Um, there's probably a page of bad monologue jokes, a few desk pieces, a few ideas for like, roll-in bits. I honestly don't remember that much because, that again, it was it was just a show that didn't exist yet. So there was something very pure about the... The matching of sensibilities that happened at the beginning of the show with like the first group of us that got hired because it was all just people who happened to find the same thing funny, and then the show came out of that as opposed to like trying to fit a bunch of square pegs in a round hole. So it was a really the beginning of that show was was so much fun. I don't know if I'll ever have. A better creative experience than building that show. That's really neat. Yeah, tell us about uh, finding the voice
0: of the show. I mean, you guys were creating what this thing is.
1: It was it was interesting when Charlie was talking. I, it really reminded me of the beginning of Late Night because we had a similar issue with Jimmy, and that his his personality is he's just so naturally up and nice and positive. He doesn't like to make fun of people. He just it's it's. Mm-hmm. Um, It's legitimately how he is wired. He can't say mean things about people. He'll tell a monologue joke about Chris Christie being fat or whatever because you have to do that on some level when you write a monologue. You have to tell jokes that are topical. But for the most part, he does not like to be funny at the expense of other people. So that's a really weird challenge as a comedy writer because you can't make fun of things. (laughs) Same same with Handy
2: Manny. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We used so to make fun of people
1: we were, A lot of us, we were frustrated at the beginning Like, how are we going to write jokes for this guy He doesn't want to make fun of anything And There was this really interesting moment at the beginning of the show um, Where, you remember Susan Boyle Who was on X Factor or whatever Singing I Dreamed a Dream And it was
4: like the biggest <laughs> Ian's pop had <laughs> Poor woman had more jokes in monologues yeah. across the world <laughs> written about than than anyone yeah. else in history.
1: And it, Well, that was the thing, is this is the biggest pop culture story in the world yeah. at that time, yeah. and we had to do something with it, but we don't want to make fun of her because she's overweight or because she's old or whatever. That's just not... Ugly. She was
4: ugly as well, wasn't she? Right. We,
1: <laughs> super ugly, Pretty obviously, ugly. but Thank we God didn't want to Thank God someone here
4: has a spine. <laughs>
1: so it was, it's, just, it's not Jimmy's way to sort of right. target those things about her. So it was sort of this dilemma. What do we do with this story? And what we ended up doing was we shot a, a roll-in piece where um, Jimmy's in a really bad mood, and he's storming around, tearing up the office. And as he goes to charge out the door, he's walking by the conference room, and Susan Boyle is playing on the TV, and he's arrested in his tracks... And the frown falls away from his face, and he starts smiling, and he is just, he's, he's completely placated by this beautiful song. And one by one, every other person in the office also walks by the conference room. They all stop and start listening to Susan Boyle. It ends with everybody holding hands, singing along with the thing, and Jimmy's crying and clapping. And it played really, really well in the audience, and it was so much fun, like the whole staff, was there to shoot it we have no money so we just all star in our own shit and it was this wonderful moment sensibility wise where we realized oh this is what we do like we, we don't um, we don't make fun of things that we don't like we celebrate things that we do like and that is what Jimmy is the best at and that's sort of what we've continued to do and he does it on late night still and that's what we're doing on on the show that we created with Charlie and that's very much his It's called brand. guys with kids yeah, when, yeah. Wednesdays at 8.30 um yeah so that was that was a really sort of seminal moment tonally in the in the show, and then again, just you know, kind of the nuts and bolts
0: stuff of it. Uh, what did a day look like? What, were, what time did you guys get in? How late did you stay? What were you working on over the course of a day?
1: Well, at the beginning, it was. I mean, you know, you've done late night. It is. It's a grind. Like the the only word to describe working in late night is a grind. You have a show every day, and it's impossible to overstate how taxing that is on the on on human resources. And it's five nights a week, right? Five nights a week. I think that Conan was at four nights. A week by by the end of the run on NBC, but we're, we're still at five. Um, and it's it's just a lot. It's a grind. You get in at 9.30, 10 in the morning, um, beginning of the day, and things have, have changed a little bit over time. Now the show is a little bit more of a well-oiled machine, but especially at the beginning, we had no idea what we were doing, no idea what we were building or how to build it, so it was constant like recalibrating the process, but the basic structure is news meeting slash pitch meeting at 9.30, 10 o'clock in the morning where you go over what's happening in the world and pitch stories, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, Jimmy is in meetings all day, a creative meeting at 12.30 with the writers, then uh, a monologue meeting, to go over the monologue, and then meeting with the segment producers, and then rehearsal of the monologue, blocking of, blocking of bits, um, tape at 5.30, done by 6.30, and then after that, if there's anything to shoot and we were shooting a ton of roland stuff in in the early days of the show we would sometimes be shooting till 11 12 o'clock at night so they were just long 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 days and i i kept a full set of toiletries in my office and you know slept on a on a horrible stain encrusted sofa in mm-hmm. in a writer's room more times than i care to count mm-hmm. but but there's something wonderful and magical about that i just yes, i loved every grind, every it's second super of it fun. Yeah. it's I mean, so it does, much it fun it feels
3: like you're at summer camp at times i mean you're just you're with your friends and you're and um yeah when it works and you like the people you're working with and everyone is very funny and very talented and you all kind of have this common goal and especially when you're on a fun show like fallon and what the the daily show came to be um in snl where i also worked out
1: yeah and you're really you're in the trenches with these people because you're just working crazy hours at this crazy level of intensity where when the show's coming on you've got to run and check cue cards and like and there's just eight million things going on and I'm sure that you experience this too, but we find ourselves all hanging out with each other even when we're not working because it's like these are the only people that can understand...
3: Well, no, your other friends have left you. Oh, yeah. Because you, you, you don't have time to see them anymore. Certainly like, your significant you. other has
1: left you <laughs> and yeah. most of your friends as well. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's very, very difficult to have a balanced life with a job like that. And um, as a result of that, you do end up spending a lot of time with the people that you work with. And there were so many nights where... A bunch of late-night writers would be sitting around drinking beer at midnight, and it's like, why? Why? I don't, I don't even like any of you people. I, 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 like, I wish I had
2: an excuse. I have a lot of free time, and I don't have a balanced life. <laughs> so, I, I wish one of these people I had an excuse. Oh, I'm too busy. I, I don't know.
0: <laughs> you know? Um,
2: what, he said we're allowed to talk to
0: each other. I, yes, yes, to. Yeah. Um, just one one more quick question about uh, late-night specifically. Um... It seemed like, especially early on, there was a lot more of that uh, roll-in stuff or the pre-apparently post-recorded uh, material than there was on a lot of other late-night shows. Was this a discussion? I mean, it was obviously a conscious choice, but was there discussion about this?
1: It was, it was sort of an accident at the beginning. We did a couple of them, and they worked so well, and we all enjoyed making them and there was such a positive response to them on the internet that we realized that this was, that sort of became our our bread and butter for a while the show still does them, has moved a little bit more away from it now just because they are so production intensive and and Jimmy is just, he's a busy dude so it's a lot to ask this human being to stay at work until midnight every night and, and, and tape this stuff, that being said they still do it but there was a lot of that at the beginning because it was a big part of us sort of finding our our voice as a staff, and we and we realized that those were the sorts of things that were really resonating with our fan base, and and that Jimmy was enjoying doing. So, that was that was a really really fun time. I he guess. did a great, great. great
2: Charlie Sheen uh, commercial. Oh, it's well, you crazy. could argue that I was making fun of him, but it was I th- it was brilliant. It's
1: yeah. he, it's eerily Sheen like, and he wasn't. The weird thing to me is he's not wearing a wig when he does that impression. He just takes yeah. his own hair and like. <laughs> tousles it differently um i it's i don't know it's alarming to me and and that
0: you're right to point that out though that was a, like a sort of a big breakthrough thing as i recall for for the show where i think people really started paying attention uh, and it wasn't Mean. I mean, it was. He was but making fun of making him, but fun it was from Charlie Sheen. But yeah. not. Yeah, it's hard to say. It's, yeah. it's always a very good-natured yeah. place, which is hard to pull off.
1: Yeah, it is hard to pull off, and and he, he Jimmy, pulls it off well because he authentically does mm-hmm. like people, and I think that I don't know. Audiences can smell. Authenticity, and he's just yeah. a very genuine and the way he dude. Stayed, I'm
2: sorry. No, no, no. The way he stayed away from the fray with the um, Leno controversy, yeah. like whatever, you know what I mean? Like, you know, there was a chance his job may be in jeopardy. He was like, "Hey, yeah."
1: Yeah, that <laughs> was mean. always that was always his position. Is I am happy just to have a job. If you want to put us on at midnight, you want to put us on at 12:30, you want to put us on at 1:30, whatever. Like, we're psyched. We'll just be over here doing our thing. Our position at Late Night was always there is no late night war as far as we're concerned and there isn't now. I mean, everybody just gets along with everybody. Mm -hmm. I wish there were a juicier story than that, but it's just (laughs) just
0: true. It's actually really boring. Uh, Well, by the time we come back around, make something up.
1: Uh, (laughs) We'll do. I'll get to work. Uh,
0: Charlie, tell us a little bit about your uh, experience on Saturday Night Live.
3: Coming off the Daily Show, I only did Weekend Update. My only time there. Which is funny because I never meant to get into topical humor, but when you're trying to break into comedy, you take the first right. job you get and you run with it and so that's what I just kind of got known as as a guy who could do topical stuff and Jimmy and Tina um, had not been happy I guess with the jokes their first season and they just you know they um, they I'd known some of the people who worked on SNL, and they were like oh so I came in and uh, just did that for seven years and it was great because wow. it's its own little thing within the show you know you have ten minutes every week to fill. Whereas everyone else on the show, you're really kind of fighting more to get stuff on. Now, within Update, you're fighting to get your jokes on and uh, and your bits, but... Just knowing that you had this block of time to work in, and that you just had these two people to work with, and it started with uh, Jimmy and Tina, who were fantastic and so different, and you could, you know, you, it was really fun to write for for two people. For me, I mean, I was coming from a show where I could really just write for one person, John, in one voice, and now to write for two voices, it was, um,
0: yeah, it was a lot. It was a lot of fun. That was also, I mean, especially with Jimmy and Tina Fey, uh like those were sharp jokes and there were a lot of them yeah
3: it was fun. i mean it was fun and it's all you know it's always the the top down just the tone and when you it's nice to be able to write for people like jimmy and tina who have very clear points of view or very uh, smart but also very thoughtful about what they want to say and they understood their chemistry they understood what they were doing and it um yeah it just it, it worked great and it's i mean it's very nice too like they would sometimes Do jokes that weren't always going to get a huge laugh, but they still just wanted to do them uh, Hmm. because they were good jokes. Um, that's really interesting. And was yeah, it was
0: fun. That's great. Yeah. Um, And how many writers were sort of relegated to uh, relegated? Come on. (laughs) (laughs) Punished with Uh, yeah. No, there were
3: uh, at the time there were two of us. Uh, This guy Doug Abels and I were hired at the same time. And it was produced by Michael Schur, who went on to create Parks and Rec. And then when Mike left, I started producing it, and we brought in this guy Alex Bays, uh, who I think is still there. And he's a he's a joke machine. He's probably the best joke writer I've ever. Well, he, that, he tweets oh, too. I think he's, yeah. yeah. He's, he's a crazy good joke. Fantastic. Writer.
0: That's yeah. what I wonder about. Like you sort of have to be a joke machine. on yeah. this, Right. Did, yeah. Tell me about that experience, because I would imagine you have to come up with these
3: yeah every more day. jokey I
0: mean, jokes than you did on Daily Show.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You do. Um, and it was yeah it was it was it was more bare bones than the daily show Daily yeah. show you could support things with graphics. you could do these builds and you were really parodying the news format mm-hmm. and weekend update started that way, but is still stuck in the 70s in terms of the way it 's shot and produced mm-hmm. and graphics and stuff and so it 's very limiting um, but it 's really you know you, you talked about a grind like every day you 'd get a ten page packet and it would you know there 'd be maybe four headlines per page and then three sort of lines written. And you, you know, and I'd kind of take my notes. It was like being handed a test every day at eleven, and you'd just sit down, and, and I would stay until I was done, and I'd type it up, and then go back and just write and write and write, and wow. then you compile jokes all throughout the week, and then you, you would read them. The highlight of my week was Friday night. You'd sit in a room with Jimmy and, and Tina, or, you know. Later on, it was Tina, and Amy, and then Amy and Seth, and. Um, and, uh, and you just read the jokes. And you eat dinner and you just read this huge joke packet. And when it's working, the jokes are funny. It, it, my job never got better than that.
0: That was real real highlight. And it must have, I mean, obviously honed your... Joke writing skills. Yeah,
3: Yeah, I mean, because especially to work for, I mean, I, I just consider myself so lucky to have for, worked first for Jon Stewart, who was very picky and very good and works very hard, and then to work for Tina, who is very similar, you know, very picky and works very hard in terms of, like, very concise, tight political joke writing. Jimmy was a, a different beast that you can speak more to, of just, like, crazier, crazier bits, um... Yeah. But, um, yeah, it was it was in, an incredible
0: education. That's really neat. And, and I want to talk about how you brought that to uh, guys with kids specifically, but also the office. Yeah. He, um, he
1: hasn't. I haven't. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> finally able office. to get away from it.
2: Well, yeah. um, <laughs> we'll get back to that. Uh, Fred, going um, from these positive experiences. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. Let's get into it. Um, well, you know, I, uh, this yeah. woman recognized me or something at Barnes & Noble. She said, I've read your book. It's a book, a Kindle single thing. Um
1: what no. does that mean? It's called it, my Seinfeld year. I didn't know what it year. meant. There's a new thing. I'm sorry on Amazon, that I don't know. I feel
2: like I should know. Not, more than a magazine article, not quite a book. Dean mm-hmm. Kuhn, Stephen King, this okay. guy Andy Borowitz. Well, man, he's made a lot. He did. Re- he did a Kindle single. So, it's a new thing. I'm lucky to get in on, and you know, it's it's like my favorite year, but not that. So I called it my Seinfeld <laughs> year, and it was just how I got the job, and all. And this woman came up to me. She goes, "I read your uh, book," or she goes, "I was thinking of being a writer, and now I'm nervous." So
0: if I could get the message you, out there. Don't do it. You, were, you? Able it you were
1: able to crush one human being. Yes, and I'm <laughs> doing my...
0: I did the book work. Well, it's it's interesting to me um, because the Seinfeld but Someone room, called Larry and now they're after me. The, the generic siren, siren <laughs> yeah. joke. You gotta do it. Sorry. Um, the Seinfeld room is not, not like a, a comedy room that you would expect. There was no room. There was no room. Which is amazing to me how you pull off it comedy was, like it this. It was like you talk about eating and drinking and high-fiving. There was none of that. <laughs> You know, and uh, like a like a beer commercial, like a Super Bowl thing. No, I, I, don't, I don't. know if you guys can tell, but, but Fred is a generally very positive person. Yeah, and so he went in expecting the best. I, it, so, I'm socially awkward. I mean, when the, when someone breaks the ice, I talk obviously, and you know. Well, let's but, talk about. I don't want to get into like how you got the how job. How messed that's up it. I am, no. No, no, no. 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 How what you got I'm the good. job? Because that's in the book, sure. and it's an it's a neat little story. But like, tell me how about the, tell them there? about the experience of working on that show because okay. it's so bizarre. Okay, basically there was only <laughs> one day where we got together in a
2: table mm-hmm. and uh, said l- l- figuring out ways to, t- the show should go. And, like at the beginning of the season. Yes, right. and it wasn't like today where you could Google it and go, uh, you know, whatever, yeah. uh, what was it called? What are you doing now? Netflix and watch right. catch, okay, up. catch Up. Okay, So Grandpa. I came <laughs> up with something they they, they they did last year and they're looking at me, this guy's retarded, you know. Uh, <laughs> but basically they just sort of talked, you know, they came up with a Jerry Stiller and the, the wife get a divorce, and then he goes, "All right." And he assigned offices. He goes, "All right, you start pitching whenever you want." You know, uh huh? And I, I was, I was never, saying. yeah, I was never on a staff or anything. Um, I saw what it was it was David Brenner had a short-lived show where I had to write topical jokes. I didn't know it was so hard. <laughs> and uh, so basically, you guys wouldn't understand. <laughs> no, I'm, no, I'm agreeing. So basically. You have to pitch a Jerry Elaine Kramer and George story, and you have to have them all connect. So it's they shut the door, they start writing, uh-huh, huh, and uh, just you know, and you have to try to get them, but they're hard to
0: get. They were a little bit easier before production, right? Because you had like two or three, probably two months before production started. I, may, up.
2: I forgot something like that. Maybe yeah. six weeks. Yeah. So basically. They're writing, and you just kind of try to get them in the hall. Hey, could I, I have a Jerry
0: idea? And, and uh, you would pitch the stories individually, too, which I think is interesting. Like, you'd say, I'd, I have this Jerry story. You had to get more stories to, to approved sign off on that before. And then, yeah. and, and the
2: the thing was, um, yeah, Jerry stories were always the hardest because he didn't have as many flaws. Like, in my spec script, I had this thing based on a true story that I, I met a woman in London and I flew I flew her out London and
4: uh, and it was almost like she I remember London
2: she got she would get mad at me because I said what instead of pardon mm-hmm. just it's proper to say pardon and she would flinch is that how it is now mm-hmm.
4: yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs>
2: I was very crude,
4: and that, that uh, still continues. I'm glad you went not there for the Olympics. Would have oh, was.
2: It was like it was like she, I bought a ticket. It was like she gave the ticket to someone who looked like her. It was a different person. So, <laughs> so that, that, that couldn't go for Jerry because that kind of made, made him look bad. But that was in my script. So you couldn't have him be loserish. And so yes, yeah, so you'd have to get all these puzzles together. And and then I would get, like, I, I got the George one approved. All right, go back to the, you know what I mean? And you would try to get them. And I remember Jerry would kind of mock me because, or Larry, like, I'd come in and I'd do my pitch. And Jer- Larry would go, where do you buy shirts? How does a guy like you know how to buy a shirt? <laughs> you know, like, I'm, they're not even listening to my pitch. They go, well, what when, when do you ever get late? You know, they're just thinking of something else, like you're a weirdo. Like, and Jerry would, I would... Pitch my heart out, then I'd stand. He goes, "You always hit the same mark, like a comic coming out to do a thing, like it have." Ta- so it was, it was, it was really bizarre. So finally, you have four stories. Then you got to figure out, like map it out, and you have to try to get them, bring them in your thing, and go this. Oh no, no, have this guy do this there, and and then you. You just write it, and um, and you hope that they like it. And, and did
0: and you just get like one pass? You handed in your draft, and then they did their rewrite. They kind of took it from there.
2: Yeah, yeah. Once you once you got it approved, of uh, you know, he goes, no, no, make a Banya. I wrote the thing with Kenny Banya, the right. annoying comedian. Oh, Banya says this. He wants the the meal not here. And all right, and you you
0: do things. And oh, so, <laughs> so you were there. Like they were they were giving you the notes as you went.
2: Yeah, one time Larry yelled at me. He goes, "You're not writing this down." You know, I said, "I'm getting it. I'm getting." It. You know, it's like with a waiter, you have that anxiety. You know, you're not going to get this. So yeah, you kind of have to bring him in and go get his attention and go. This happens
0: there. No, no, no. He wouldn't do that. And so yeah, you kind of. Map it out, and, and then, then were you? Was the writer of any given episode present for like the network notes or the studio notes or anything like that? No, it
2: was no all Larry. No, and no, it's just you hand it in, and yeah. you just hope a bunch retains. And <laughs> yeah, you really—they don't really like. Even when they did my episode, they don't like involve me. You know, during the thing, going, yeah, we're gonna have you know. Oh,
0: that's right. You you like weren't there for production or anything. They just kind of took it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you you really don't
2: feel like you're part of it, and they, and they do little things. I was very happy because they changed names, and and I named the restaurant Mendy's, mm-hmm, and they kept that, yeah. But usually, <laughs> I had a monkey in it, and, I, and they named him Mitchell, and they changed it to Barry. I guess Barry's <laughs> a better name for a monkey, so yeah. it's
0: so yeah. weird. Yeah. So, um, and, and you very also isolating, started... yeah. Yeah, and, and there, are only, like, there are a handful of shows that still work this way, but I don't know of any comedies that do.
2: Yeah, it was... Um, It was bizarre, yes. It was, but uh, but then again, it could be the other extreme to be around a table with loud, aggressive people, like (laughs) elbowing you, you know, (laughs) for the boat. Okay, you know what I mean? Or so I don't Um, know which would be yeah. uh, Yeah, they're both tough,
0: but uh, and you only kind of touch on this in the book. But what was the atmosphere in the in you know the offices? Were there people who were dealing with this very well that you could talk to or? Well, no there was a thing. I made an analogy that it's like it's like a homicide
2: division where we all have <laughs> yes, we're all solving cool, yeah. murders, but we have our own cases. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And once in a while I would I would like try. Hey, can I ask you something? What, what, Fred? What? You know, that's someone else. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know whose voice that is. Like and I go, do you think this? And you know, I go, would this be good for George? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they would be cordial, but they're trying to get their own yeah. stories mapped out. So you know, you kind of. I was. So, and there was a, one or two other misfits like me that were just thrown there, and we would <laughs> we kind of converge together, shaking. You know, I don't. Like one time, I took the liberty of mapping something out, thinking he approved that. He goes, what in the hell? You know, I go, I thought you would like that. You know. So, yeah, you can't, uh, you can't do anything. And one time when production started, I was like napping on my couch because until I got them all approved, is you can't do anything. That's I would go ridiculous. out and play pinball, yeah. Sure, you have to
0: fill the hours because you're expected to come to the oh, but every day.
2: You asked, the, could I ask the question if I learned anything?
0: I am curious about what that. that. What, what,
2: learnt, what did you take out of this experience? What I took out of it is... You, you, whatever, and I've learned this in other things, like I would ask, you know, the ones I thought were seasoned, do you think this would be some a good idea? No, no, Lane would never do that, mm-hmm. and then someone else would do it. I don't mean it was ripped off, right. but, yeah. but so if you have it an idea... Yeah. No, no, it wasn't ripped off. What I'm saying is someone else came up with it another yeah. season, so you... It only counts what the opinion is with the person who says yes or no. Don't I, I wasted so many years as a writer trying things out on friends. They go, oh, no, that's been done, or that's not good. So it only counted there what Jerry and Larry think. I, I probably killed a lot of ideas that might have gone asking the other guys I thought were, they were just having opinions, going, no, no, that, that doesn't make sense of an episode. Yeah, so that's the really thing I learned. Advice. Just yeah. ask the people who could say yes
0: or no. Yeah. Or Otherwise, you can second guess all day. Yeah. With other people. Yeah, that's good advice. Um, and let's go inside. Um, uh, Flight of the Concords. I'm sure yep. these people want to hear it. I'm sure the podcast listeners want to hear it. Uh, right. How did you guys get involved with that show? What was the writing experience like? Was it a, a room-based show, or were they
4: assigned episodes? How did it work? Uh, uh, um, let me think. No, answer yeah. all yeah. of those questions. Well, basically, uh, I met uh, Brett and Germain in Edinburgh. When I, used to, I used to work for a network, and I met them there. And I desperately tried to offer them a series at Channel 4 and they just, I think they genuinely didn't understand what I was offering them. I think they are a bit like, oh no, we just come and play music in, uh, in Scotland once a year. And I was like, yeah, you could do it on TV though if you want. And then, uh, and then there was a point where they had, had this sort of very, I had a very fancy office in a very fancy building in London and I remember one day getting a phone call from the receptionist saying, I think there's two backpackers are here to see you. They actually had backpackers, backpacks and guitars and they turned up. And I was like, yeah, you've turned up at 12.30 which is... club." The only way we've been sort of become friends, i would constantly paid for their food in Edinburgh. It felt like I'd constantly <laughs> take them for lunch. They turned up for lunch and they said, Oh, we're going back to uh, New Zealand, so we're not going to do anything ever again. I was like, Okay, fine. And then I thought, Okay, well, we've become, I've given up trying to get you to do a TV show. Uh, we're just friends now. And then they, I think, they, my best friend is a guy called James Bobin, who was the showrunner and executive producer and stuff. And he, we've been friends for many, many years in England. And he'd moved over here. And he, they would do a shape for HBO, do a pilot script for HBO, and he was sort of around and had made Ali G for HBO, and so I think they phoned and said, what do you think of James? I said, he's amazing, and James said, should I talk to him? I was like, obviously, yes. So they became friends, and basically they made this great pilot, and then they had 13 episodes to make for the first season, 12, I think, and, um, and basically they said, look, we, we're going to write, James is James, Brett, and Jermaine. We're going to write six, and then we're going to farm off six to other people. I think, like, my friend Tyka did a couple, and uh, Paul Sims with a couple of them. So basically we're firing off. And do you and Damon want to write one? Because we haven't got very long to write them. And you know the guys really well. You know what they sound like. If it's quite a particular way they speak, mm-hmm. um, it would be quicker if you do one than if we have to try and get in another writer. We don't really know, see if we like them, and teach them to do it. So we thought it right. would be good. So again, we, and me and Damon were like, yeah, fantastic, we'd love to. So we talked to Brett about it, and Brett said, oh, I've got this hilarious idea where we got trapped on a roof. one we got trapped on a roof in New York we can do like a trapped episode, we get trapped on a roof. So we wrote this trap thing, me and Damon. And we honestly wrote the proposal oh, ten times. And every time we got sent back to HBO, HBO were like, this is terrible. This is the worst thing we've ever done. <laughs> I was like... Uh, what was wrong with it to them? I mean, it, I don't know, really. I just, they just did, didn't like it. Didn't they, I don't know, They kept saying things like... And they get brilliant HBO, but they were literally like we don't see what the drive is or something like that. I was like, well, the drive is to get off the roof, isn't it? Right? <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, but anyway, the long and short so is what happened is we, we, wrote, so we, wrote, we wrote it, we said, we'll write it, and then we'll show you. So we wrote it, and we sent it off, and James got back to me quite quickly and went, yeah, they hate it, so uh, here's another storyline we've got. Do you want to write that one instead? So that's how the first series worked. Basically, <laughs> wow. they, were, they were in a room, the three of them, okay. and then everybody else wasn't in the room and got sort of sent storylines or ideas or pitched ideas in that then were discussed in the room and went back out again. The second season, actually, I, we finished making The us and the first season, and it was very badly thought of at the time. The network hadn't gone out yet. And I had, I had these flights that I couldn't use, hadn't used to America, so I came, I thought, I'd go and see James for a week. My only week's holiday <coughs> in, like, two years. So I fly over to L.A., get stay with James on the Saturday, Sunday... The Monday, I go to Six Flags Magic Mountain. It's all I wanted to do. (laughs) (laughs) And on the Tuesday, on the the Monday night, he said, would you mind coming in? Because we're we're storylining Hmm. series two. Would you mind coming in and having a look and talking to the boys? I was like, no, of course, I'd love to. So Tuesday I came in, and it was amazing. It was like walls covered in post-it notes. They were coming up with new songs. I remember really clearly they showed that hilarious... um, R. Kelly and someone else this Brett. song about like the same girl and Brett literally went I said you should do a song like that and Brett went out and came back I mean honestly five minutes later going I think I've got this song and it was the one that they used with um it's Kristen Wigg the Kristen Wigg is the um we're in love with the same girl. We're both in love with a sexy lady the night lazy, that one. Anyway. Mm. So so they get so that was great. So was like that, and then James said, Will you come back? Do you mind come back tomorrow if it's going quite well? I was like, Come on, wasn't mind come, come, come back tomorrow? I'd love to come back tomorrow. It's been such You're putting fun. Me up. I was like, it's so I've got a week's holiday, but two days is fine. And then it was like then Thursday it was like, let's pitch some ideas. So I was pitching some storylines and ideas. And and Thursday afternoon and Friday were just me sitting in a room on my own typing. <laughs> like, without even any windows. I was thinking, this is the Worst holiday I've ever. Had. Like, I'm not even getting paid for this. This is just like. Mm-hmm. So I think by that point he felt that, and the guys felt that we they should definitely give us one of the scripts for the, the last series. And so we did, we did the uh, we did the, the uh, Australian girlfriend one, unnatural love. So right. and that was yeah. But again, so they they had a kind of room going that they they sat and discussed things, but. But they were mostly like, treated like freelance episodes. Right? Yeah, they were. But we, again, I, you know, I chipped in quite a lot of things. Sure. And I'm sure when Tyke was in there, he was chipping in things and people were passing through. Basically, anyone that was on holiday, James would draw in and ruin their holiday making them right. work on Flight of the Concords. Um And where were you guys as
0: writers uh, during that, for that first script? What had you been yeah. working on? What had you been, uh, We'd writing?
4: only written. We'd written a pilot script of The Us that hadn't been made. So, so we delivered it. And Channel 4 said, You'll never find actors to play these parts, and no one wants to watch teenagers on TV. So, so they said, You know, they said you're going to write something else, and we tried to write something else, which is quite bad. But, um, but, well, they, but the script. What was, was that? It was like a thing about men in their late 20s, it was genuinely quite bad. <laughs> and, uh, and, yeah, and so we wrote this other thing, and, and, but that script, effectively, they sent that script to HBO, and HBO, mm. and HBO said, Yeah, it's possible mm. that they could write a script for you, and, and so then we wrote one. Oh, interesting. So it was kind of like, yeah, so basically, I suppose it was like a. Spec script, yeah. got us the, and nepotism, nepotism, and spec, right. but mainly it goes nepotism. a long way. Yeah, <laughs> it's mainly nepotism.
0: Um, and while we're chatting, uh, take us back to so. So you were a television executive. I was an executive, I was a producer
4: for a long time. Okay. And then yeah, te-
0: walk us through. I mean, it's where were boring. Was your... That's all right. Walk you us look, through quickly. You, you look like <laughs> you're twenty three. Oh, I wish I was twenty
4: three. No, I did. Um, I wrote. I, I wrote a letter to Prince Edward and got a job as a runner, which is like an intern, effectively. Uh, made a lot of tea for a couple of years. Then I worked on a, a, a football and comedy show, a so soccer and comedy show, which is my favourite TV show. And that's where I met James. And, um, and there's a whole group. And so then, funnily enough, in 1998, we were trying to, Channel 4 were trying to rip off a show, The Daily Show. They trying to do a version of it called The 11 O'Clock Show. And it was the only time I can ever remember anyone in my time in TV they got sort of every writer you'd ever met, every producer you'd ever met, any, suddenly everyone, like me and James and my friend Dan Mays, and everyone that you knew, and Damon and I met on the 11 o'clock show, suddenly everybody was just in this huge room saying, right, okay, okay, we're going to yeah. do this thing. I genuinely don't think a single person went to America to see how they'd done it at the Daily Show. <laughs> <laughs> and, I mean, eventually they kind of like, and it got cancelled after like four seasons, and it was pretty ropey, those four seasons, but... But it was interesting because the process. We sort of got to the process that you've been describing. We sort of eventually, I was like, oh, maybe we should do like getting early in the morning and do the play- <laughs> <laughs> maybe we should have like teams for the days so that might work better People putting different things. Well, yeah, that might work better. So, so I worked on that for um, best part of two years as the sort of I did the VT stuff, so I looked off the VTs and st- um, the sort of filmed bits. So rather than, not the studio stuff. Uh, and then after that, I worked. I was the only person ever to make a series with Ricky Gervais that was unsuccessful. <laughs> <laughs> Good,
1: uh,
0: what, what was that? It's called
4: Meet. Well, it's called Meet Ricky Gervais. You won't have heard of it. Nobody <laughs> has. And, uh, and so he did that. And I worked with Ricky for a while and did some, they helped him with stand-up and stuff. And then, and then I got offered a job at the network to cover someone's maternity leave. And I thought, well, six months that'd be fine. And I was there for four years in the end. And. Uh, at the and end what, of,
0: were you, what were you doing? Were you in development? No,
4: I was what's no, I was, I was, uh, called a commissioning editor for comedy. So effectively people came to me mm-hmm. and then I'd say, okay, I like it, I don't like it, mostly I don't like it. Mm-hmm. And then if I liked it, I'd try and sell it to the head of the network oh. and then, uh, then I'd work. We were actually quite closely involved in it, so we'd involved in casting and stuff like that. And I made lots of really quite bad shows with <laughs> one that I was proud of in the whole sort of time, really. So, what, what was that? The uh, peep show, you know, peep show? Oh, yeah, of of, I okay. still sort of do peep show. So that was, yes, that was good. Uh, I think the last year, I think I was almost, uh, certainly clinically depressed, uh, possibly insane. And, uh, and I thought, I hate myself. Everyone hates me as well. Probably chimed, they did, no, they did hate me. Uh, oh, you are peep a real comedy didn't. writer. Only <laughs> Peep Show didn't, only Peep Show didn't hate me. Uh, everyone else in the whole industry in the UK pretty much hated mm. me. And so I thought, so Dave and I talked and thought, okay, we have, we have this isn't what I've gone to TV for. I didn't want to be sitting in this room doing this stuff. Uh, let's go and start a production company. So we started a production company primarily because we thought to produce. And we have written jokes with Ricky and other people, and we have written jokes on the 11 o'clock show, but we never anything long form. And, and so we sort of thought, we we'll start a company, and we'll produce other people's stuff, but what we'll do, just a scratch an itch, is we'll write a script. Because we've never tried writing a script, so we'll write a script and yeah. see how that goes. And that was um, the first in-between the script that we wrote. Uh, so.
0: uh, and you must have, I mean, working... As an executive for four years, you yeah. must have—it must have been quite a crash course in the workings of a script and what makes something. Yeah, work.
4: that was—it was definitely. Because like, I'd never done any narrative stuff before, mm-hmm. you know, just like gags and stuff, really. And then suddenly, the day one, I had this this series that was very successful called F- uh, Phoenix Nights, and they—I didn't commission it, but they had the scripts there, and I was reading their scripts. and They were really good scripts. Mm-hmm. And then, and then you're reading every day. You're reading lots of narrative scripts, and most of them are quite bad scripts. So suddenly, you're like, oh, actually, I get it. I see what a script looks like, and I get how to do it. And then. And then eventually you just want to kill yourself after (laughs) a few years. Turns out, three years. I mean, that might not be everyone's experience, but that was... Certainly, what I felt after three years, and then stay for another year. Say, so why not? <laughs> oh it was actually genuine. It was the point when they gave me a pay rise. They gave me quite a big pay rise, and that was I thought, ah, I've got to leave now, haven't I? Because I can't do this. This is yeah, just a in- anyway, I'll hate myself so much <laughs> if I take this money, to do this job.
0: Uh, and then, and just finally, and then I'll, I'll hit you guys with pretty much the same question. Uh, as a young consumer of comedy, because yeah. we have four very funny comedy writers here. What was the stuff you were in? to? What was inspiring you? What was the stuff you were putting in your ears and eyes?
4: Um, I mean, there's also a classic British thing. Like, 40 Towers has always been amazing, and, you know, before I wrote anything. But also, weirdly, I remember getting it was like season two or season one of The Simpsons on VHS mm-hmm. and just thinking, this is sort of brilliant. Isn't yeah. that so clever and brilliant? And, yeah, and as I was growing up, you know, Seinfeld and stuff like that were really influential. Sure. And there's, um, then, you know, a bit like Alan Partridge and stuff in the UK were really important. To for us to rip off, so we tried to rip that off as much as we could. They're the main influences. Right.
0: Well, I, I actually wonder about that. I mean, can you look at the in-betweeners and say that's an Alan Partridge influence or that's a Simpsons influence?
4: No, I think it's. There's lots of Simpsons influences in it. Mm-hmm. Influences, <laughs> and uh, but no, Samples. it's not really. I think it's. I think we tried to do something. We did try to do something different, to be fair. Um, but there's probably. I think I don't know. It was kind of. I think the thing about it was that what. Partridge was probably a little bit further but there's a kind of performance style I guess that we wanted to get which is that when you're with your friends and you're with people I think people have a slightly heightened performance style because you are effectively telling jokes, you are performing with your friends and so what we wanted was we didn't want like brutal office style naturalism we wanted a kind of heightened performance but not as far as Partridge so it's more in more looking at other comedies that are around and thinking about what we could do with, with that rather than anything in particular i.e. jokes Gotcha. Interesting. Uh,
0: Fred, tell us about your uh, influences, stuff you... Comedy, especially, up, that you were into, yeah, as a, a well, youngster. Mad Magazine. Yeah. Um, uh, the, the comedies of the
2: 70s, you know, Sanford and Son, the Bob Newhart show. I like those. Uh, and You know, it's weird. With movies, things that, to me, were comedy... Well, I, I, George Siegel stuff, the Hot Rock, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? I liked... I, to me, I thought like The Graduate and what's it called? Um, Talk Day Afternoon and Cuckoo's Nest. Those were comedies to me. I know they're not like Will Ferrell, but if it's about <laughs> demented, damaged people, mm-hmm. desperate, I'd sit up in my seat. So to me, yeah, I like comedy. Yeah, I, I don't like the. I mean, I like. St- so, yeah, a lot of broad comedies. I mean, yeah, I love Jerry Lewis movies. But I like those kind of depressing, dark stuff. Well, there's 70s. something so honest in there, which yeah. can be funny, but can also be very tragic. Right, because it was you're laughing because this seemed real. It wasn't like these, you know, Owen Whistle, hey, dudes, the bachelor party. I don't relate to any of that. You know what I mean? Romance, rule number three with chicks. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's these, hey, you never bring a girl to the market with you. You know what I mean? Whatever these, the, you know. So you yeah, they were always, like, more real. You know what I'm saying? Hey, never leave it. Like the Elliot Gould kind of comedies. Mm-hmm. The 70s had that feel, that yeah. more depressed. Yeah. Uh, you know what I'm saying? So, but, but then I did, like, yeah, I loved um, the 70s sitcoms. I mean, I got to hang out with George Siegel for a while. And, oh, I, he, at the former, and I think he stopped coming because I was
0: fawning. But yeah.
2: that's, that, you know, George Segal?
0: Yeah, yeah that, that kind of mm-hmm. 70s comedy, yeah. And did he, do you think that, I mean... This might be a gimme. But uh, tell us about the influence of that on your stand-up. Um, I don't know. I think I, I
2: went into stand-up... I, I, I was not funny. I was pathologically <laughs> shy. But I didn't know how you brought, I wanted to be a character actor. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know how you broke in. And I heard, oh, Jimmy Walker did his act at the improv. You get on The Tonight Show, and then you get a sitcom. So I was beyond pathologically shy. But I thought, if I just do it once, they'll discover me. I only have to get in front of people once or twice. I really, you know, I was, no, it was, it was just shocking. So I think um, my, um, I would have my head down and make nooses with the mic thing. I couldn't, and I would sh- couldn't look at them. And that was sort of my act, only because uh, I just knew this is the way. I heard about the improv, you right. go there. But
0: you had to I mean obviously you had to generate material. Oh yeah. and you were writing things down, I assume. Yeah yeah I would um down. well
2: it's funny when I first started to stand up I would listen to Richard Pryor albums and George Coll and I thought you had to be from a bad black neighborhoods. And it was all <laughs> stupid. Like I'd make up how poor... It doesn't hurt. Yeah, it doesn't <laughs> hurt. And then I quit for three years, then came back when I was 20, and it was just um, just saying things my mother said and just things like that. So kind of you just hang out at the improv late night and once in a while go up like three in the morning and just little by little you just get some chuckles. And Then the comedy boom happened in the 80s where Anyone in this room practically could have been a comic. I'm not even saying that to be funny. You just had to have a semblance of an act because there were more comedy clubs and comedians when the boom hit. It was my friend explained why. He's smart. The the, the baby boomer generation. There were more people needing to to, have to go out and
0: do stuff. So it was yeah. Yeah, I mean, the timing was right, and you're naturally funny, and you had the material. You had the stories to tell just from your own life. Well, I don't know it's the same thing with you with Millionaire,
2: but um, I was, like, in a comfort zone. I didn't love being a stand-up, but mm-hmm. I kept getting weekend work in New Jersey, Long Island, Connecticut, and figured, oh, well, this will take me to the next level. So you're in this co- – and then I got in a comfort zone but when they had more guest star parts. But, yeah, so basically, yeah, just mm-hmm. – yeah, I just, my influences was misfits I always, this, this is a story I, I always, I rooted for Elma Fudd fun over Bugs Bunny Even though he's trying to kill him Because I don't like wise asses and snarky hey, or And I always like
1: I didn't like Bugs Bunny either I thought I'm, he was a dick Yeah No, I'm serious And I also didn't like Ernie on uh, oh, a the oh, yeah, Same yeah. reason, like he was always messing like, shit up I
2: don't know. I don't like anyway. Confident. And I, I was, I liked, and I liked Barney. I hated I Fred like Flintstone. I didn't like him better. Barney. I, Barney. I didn't like Fred Flintstone. I agree. I don't like he loud people. He's <laughs> not loud now. Anyway. I like, yeah, the soft-spoken... We should talk later about it. Well, Barney's a character actor. <laughs> well, it was based actually on um, The Honeymooners. Sure. So
0: I didn't like uh, Ralph. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't like yeah loud, <laughs> That's really <funny>. pushy people. <laughs> um, same question, uh, Charlie. Tell us about your early influences. Stuff that got you interested in comedy. comedy.
3: For me, it was all stand up. My dad loved stand up, and it was just stand up albums. Um, yeah,
0: we should say your dad was an actor. Dad was an actor. Dad you. was uh, Fred
3: Grandy, who played Gopher Unrupa. on The Love Boat, most, and he's a uh, politician. Uh, was a politician. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that was it. But That's he, you know, he just loved. Love stand up, and you know his early, the stuff he did on TV. I didn't. I was always too young. I didn't really watch it. Love Boat was on late. Didn't interest me that much. But what we shared in common. Then he introduced me, very young, to Monty Python, and so those two things of um, stand up of uh, George Carlin. Um, uh Steve Martin, um, Richard Pryor, Bill Cosby was huge. Um, so I and then later I just kind of discovered kept. Oh Chichin into- Chong,
2: I'm sorry to interrupt. Mm-hmm. I yes. love those albums.
3: Cheech and Chong
2: yes. was a big one. I I, I love those albums, yeah. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
3: And I just I, that was like throughout it's weird, like there are huge kind of gaps in my comedy, I guess, education. Really? Um, like I think I've Seen Animal House maybe once. I've never yeah, seen uh, what's the Chevy Chase. There's some huge. I've never seen, Cattyshack. Cattyshack. never seen Caddyshack. Never seen Caddyshack. Okay, good. There we go. This is my room. Um, you know, I just love... I don't know. For me, like yeah, no, I always liked, and this is probably why I became a joke writer. At first, I just loved the purity of just standing up and telling a joke with absolutely nothing else. It's so that scary. always just engaged so me scary. more than anything else. And going to see it in New York, I loved going to the clubs, and any and I really wasn't a snob either. It was always just like anyone. I just loved it. I love. I love, you, love to New watching. York to you know I would go you know I was living downtown so anywhere there was like an open mic sure. and I would try to go up too but just and then would go to the comic strip would go to stand-up New York mm-hmm. um, Caroline's occasionally um, if I knew someone but you yeah. know it's so expensive to go there but
0: uh, yeah Uh, And there must have been a certain point where, you know, the light bulb went off when you said, someone is writing these things. Yeah. That's something I can do.
3: I think, I mean, that's sort of one of the benefits of having grown up in the industry and having been out here. I always was sort of aware that there was a career out Mm -hmm. there. You know, and I think writers, you know, my mom and dad wrote some episodes of Love Boat. Mm -hmm. And my mom always still fancies herself a writer. And so that was always a, a... Career path that was would have been respected in my house, so I just locked. My sister was an actress, and I was like, okay, you can be more mm-hmm. outgoing, and I'm, I'll just focus on this stuff in my room and do that. <laughs> yeah. that was it. yeah,
1: makes <laughs> you sound like a huge loser.
3: I was, I was, still am. Yeah.
0: Uh, I Amy, mean, same question. What was the early stuff you were into? Um,
1: SNL, always SNL. I, I would tape it every week and like label the videotapes. Like host and musical uh-huh. guest, and file them in a drawer. That what, nobody what was could your touch. what was your cast? What were the peak years? Well, before? I mean, I feel like when I was in junior high, the, like Dana Carvey and Phil Hartman, and that that sort of era was the one that I was just most familiar with because that's when I was starting to realize, oh, you can actually do this for a job, and I became obsessed with it. But Monty Python always, Faulty Towers definitely was. Th- Faulty Towers was the first time I remember laughing so hard I thought I was going to <laughs> injure myself. Like I, it was so fucking funny. Um, I don't know, and then just sitcoms. Like I loved classic sitcoms, like Cosby Show, Roseanne, WKRP, um, Family Ties, Taxi. All that stuff with um stuff with heart. Like that's uh, the stuff with the soft, squishy like center to, was. Heart always. to heart, new heart. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I just, like heart that. to heart, Dog Day <laughs> Afternoon. I just thought of an, just a kidding. show I
2: loved, um, Mary Hartman. So that's around the morose, but yeah, love Mary. Did you see that?
1: I, I was not a Mary Harper. Oh. People have said to me before that they thought I would like Mary Harper. It, it comes up a lot sense. on
0: these panels, too, yeah. which you guys should check it out. It's it's really fun. Very weird for its time. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, those um, So, were, so in a, at what point did you say, uh, you know, the kind of the same thing, someone is creating these things, that's something I'd like to do.
1: There was an article in a newspaper, the Middlesex News, where I grew up in suburban... Massachusetts, and it where, was. A, where are you from? Uh, I'm from Hopkinton, Massachusetts. It's the start of the Boston Marathon. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty big deal. <laughs> um, there was an article in the paper about the Lampoon, which is the humor magazine at Harvard, and there were different people interviewed talking about how it was a path to comedy writing, and I'd I'd never really heard of it before. Like, I guess I had heard of National Lampoon, but I didn't know that there was like this very specific track, and. So then I kind of I kind of locked into that as as a goal. It's like, okay, I want to go to Harvard so I can do that because that's a way that you can do this for a job. I just thought it was like the coolest thing that that was a way to do it. I never I had no exposure to stand up or improv or anything like that growing up. That just wasn't I don't know for whatever reason I never crossed paths with it, but I but I decided that I wanted to pursue that lampoon track. So that's eventually how where I ended up and over time is how I ended up doing the job. It just took me a long time to get there. That's where Charlie and I met. We were in the Lampoon together. Oh, really? I didn't realize. Yes. We um, used to we used to get drunk and <laughs> be with bad haircuts together. Yeah. <laughs> um, I want to
0: just very quickly. Uh, I have like one more question, then we'll throw it over to you guys. Um, Ian, tell us about kind of the day-to-day t- of writing The Inbetweeners. Did you guys have a room? Was it just you and Damon writing the whole thing?
4: Yeah, the room was quite important. It was just me and Damon in a small room. Really? So what we did was we have a very small room, almost the worst room we could find. <laughs> and the, the key things it had to have were very, very poor or no internet access. That's absolutely <laughs> That's key. key. <laughs> uh, a window, although when we wrote the film, the room, the room we had had a window with like bars on it, like you could, you could take the bars back, <laughs> and we never did in <laughs> four months. You uh, wrote it in a jail. We basically wrote it in jail, yeah. People would come in and go, <laughs> and then and then just lots of walls that we could put post-it notes on, and, and and then we'd sit opposite each other and just to begin with for all the series and for the film, we you know until you get much closer to production, we just try and you know do nine to f- well ten to six days, you know. Mm. So we would start at ten, have lunch at one, start again at two finish at six-ish and and try and do that every single day. again Because I think partly because I'm quite lazy, he's very lazy. (laughs) And unless we sat opposite each other, watching each other do some work, we couldn't tell if the other one was working or not. Uh, Which is quite a big part of writing partnerships, I think. And then the other thing, I guess, was that it's slightly out of fear and thinking... Rather than thinking, oh, we're geniuses and the inspiration will come and we'll write half a page in the morning and then we can go home, Mm -hmm. it makes much more sense to go, whatever, you have to do something all day (laughs) and then you can look back at it and go, well, we can change that, but at least we did something rather than thinking, oh, I've got writer's block, I can't do this because I don't think we're those kind of writers. I think we're more constantly about revising Mm stuff.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, we hear that a lot on these panels. It's more important to get something down so you at yeah. least have something to play with and you yeah. have a little momentum. Yeah, exactly. That,
4: yeah.
0: Uh, and so you guys did the whole, uh, all three series like that? Just the two yeah, of them? Yeah, just the yeah, two of us, yeah, and the film, yeah.
4: That's great. That's sort of how it works in England, because, mainly yeah. because the wages are so low, <laughs> if you spread it any thinner than two, it's like, it's catastrophic. I mean, it's pretty bad at two, to be honest, to start with. But,
0: uh, um, this is something, a question that comes up quite a bit, yeah. and uh, we've been asked to have more um, British writers on. Right. Um, and sort of the best one, but gone. On.
1: <laughs> well,
0: and, and you haven't written for anything in the US, right? No. I mean, no, very big failure. Concord's was sort it of, but HBO's yeah. bizarre. Yeah. Um, but to ask, you know, and maybe you guys can speak to it, but to compare the, the British system, which will set two guys off to write 18 episodes, um, compared to the, the US system, which, you, um, how many writers do you guys have on Guys with Kids?
1: Ten
0: or twelve? Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah. And, and how many episodes do you have ordered? Uh, oh, Thirteen. Uh, Thirteen. Yeah, so yeah. that's quite a
3: bit. Uh, a bit. With the hope of twenty-two. Right. Yeah,
4: of course. Uh, right. But I uh, think if we could have done that, if we could have, if, if they'd given us enough money to write to make a twenty-two episode for season one of the Us, we would have done it. Sure. I don't think it wasn't like an artistic choice. It was. <laughs> it was they gave us six, yeah. and they went, "Here's enough money to pay you not not to live for a year, but here's enough money <laughs> that you can just about probably <laughs> scrape through if you borrow some mm-hmm. money mm-hmm. for a year." and go and do it. And there's definitely a sense in which, over here, I think it's, it is a business. It's much more like a business. Whereas in the UK, at times, it feels a bit like it. you're doing a high school play. And, and you should be grateful to get the chance to do it. And, and people play on that a bit, I think. But I think it's not... I think most people in the UK aren't doing six because they really, really feel like that's the perfect number to make, and they can make <laughs> it perfect. Because there's a lot of shit sitcoms that get made in the UK with a run of six. It's just because people think... That is the most we can... They're only giving us six, and they're only paying for six, and that's all we can do, I think. I think there's sort of misconception over here It feels to me like people think, you, you do it out of artistic choice, and I don't think that's the case at all. <laughs> uh,
0: do, you, do you think that model is changing at all? Have you seen that in the yeah, past 10 yeah,
4: years? Yeah, Sky have got loads of money, and basically yeah. what's happening in the UK at the moment, if anyone's interested, is that Sky TV are putting a lot of money into sitcoms, and one of the things they're doing is getting table-written, long-running shows, mm-hmm. um, I think the reason they're doing it is because it's, a, it's part of a bigger strategy to totally destroy the BBC. Because effectively, the BBC do art and comedy really well. And so Sky are putting, and they're losing, they'll be losing millions and millions and millions of pounds on these big running things. But then in two years' time, they'll be able to say, Look, we do comedy, and we've got this whole arts channel. And then everyone will go, Yeah, you're right, we should just shut down the BBC. And then they'll shut down the BBC. And then Sky will go, We're not doing comedy, and we're not doing art anymore. So that's, I think that's why they're doing it. But at the moment, that is, they're in the middle, they're in the middle of this of boom of they are doing team written shows, and they are commissioning 26 at a, a run and stuff.
0: Interesting. Um, Fred, I want to ask you very briefly about uh, Fred and Vinny. Yeah. Which was a really interesting film and really well made. And is it available for people to see You know, we
2: finally got, excuse me, distribution. So it's going
0: to be on Netflix, all this stuff in November. Good. I think. Uh, Tell tell the folks what it's about (coughs) and and how you came to write it. Because it's clearly a very personal story.
2: Yeah. Basically, long story short, I wrote, you know, I was writing like essays, different things. My friend Steve said, you should write about your friendship with Vinny. So I just wrote a, a story. And Steve had... He wrote on Raymond for nine years, so he had some money. And he already did a movie on his own. So he wanted, a tr- he w- he wanted to write it with me, but his windows are small because he's a sitcom writer. And he goes, oh, we'll pound it out. But it, <laughs> I kind of knew he'd be busy, so I kind of took the liberty to write the outline. didn't write it to get a head start. <clears throat> it's, a, it's a true story. A friend of mine... Was, I should know if it's agoraphobic or agoraphobic by now, but it didn't like to go out. I should know, it's, it's what the movie's about. You've been plugging the movie for three years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he didn't like to go out and he lived vicariously through me. I was like the adoring parent, he was the
0: happiest. You know, Which is, I mean, it's hilarious. And there are these scenes early on where Fred is calling him up saying, I went to the post office today. And he's like, oh, my God, get out. So he validated my life.
2: And <laughs> and he was so excited about anything I did. And, and then he wanted to come to L.A. to try to be an extra. And I couldn't wait to show him where all these things happened. And then It's a True Story it wasn't so good. And it's just a... You know, simple story. You know, guy, and just a friendship, and uh, trying to unload him, and it's almost like a love story. I can't wait for him to come out, Then he comes out. It's <laughs> not good. He's just sitting, sulking, because you know, and uh, eating candy.
0: And so it's just like a kind of a. He says he's the fattest vegetarian. Yeah. Was. Was. <laughs> yeah so uh Yeah. So was it? A, I mean, again, it's clearly a personal story, and it yeah. is this character study um, where there's no real driving plot. Um, yeah, not.
2: It's not like a yeah. It's not actually lost. Movie. It's not that. right.
0: Um, and, and, it was, but but it was it's fascinating like, all the way through too.
2: It was. It was. It was. Again, I didn't say I have to make this movie. My friend Steve said, "Let's do this." So, yeah, we got into festivals and we had some trouble because. Again, it's not bromance. Rule number—that's th- all I think I could say. Rule number three, uh, and it's—it's it's, I'm I'm the sexy one in it, so that's why no one bought it. So, to middle-aged guys. So, but we finally found the guy who got it, and it'll be available
0: on all those Amazon things. What I'm curious about, though, is uh, was it a difficult story to write? I mean, there's some personal stuff in there. You sort of had to look. Inward. Yeah, it was. It was because
2: it was surreal. Because. Um, I don't want to give away the ending, but this sad stuff, and I die. No, um, and it's, a tr- it's a true story. It's <laughs> a okay joke, but no. Uh, it was um, the podcast audience will. Yeah, love it. yeah, yeah. <clears throat> um, it was weird because it was things were happening in shooting. I was reliving it and remembering when they happened in real life. So it was very surreal. There was there was a scene. I finally get him out of the house to take him to see the movie made, and and Vince Vaughn. Phase on Love and John Favreau came out. He goes, Oh my God, only in Hollywood you see a movie, the three stars of it come out. So we couldn't get any stars. We had Fred Willard and two made up celebrities. <laughs> and, and it was weird seeing them come out and reliving it. So And it's weird getting directions from someone telling me how I should do it when it happened to me. <laughs> <laughs> so uh,
0: well, it, it's a great sure. performance, too, well, I mean, in you. addition to being a, a great script. Uh, well, thank too. you. So yeah, check it out on Netflix. Um, you guys, uh, Charlie and Amy, tell us uh, briefly about Guys With Kids. Where did this come from? Maybe this is well-trod. I, I don't know. But, um, no tell one us- wants to talk to us. <laughs> <laughs> so Where did it come from, awesome. and, and how the hell did you get it on the air? Because it's so well, hard we, to get a
1: TV show yeah, on the air. We don't know the answer to that question. So, <laughs> so, yeah. Um, you want to do it or you want me yeah. to do it? Yeah, I
3: mean, basically, for my involvement started, uh, Amy called me up, and as she mentioned, we'd gone to college together and we'd just known each other for forever and stayed in touch. And um, she called me up and said, Hey, I'm starting this production company, and Jimmy has two ideas that he's really excited about. and We think you'd you know, maybe be good for one of them. I don't know, just you want to hear them. I said, Yeah, sure. Um, and uh, she said, Okay, the first one is called DILFs. And I said and I said like MILFs and she said yup and I said okay what's the second one? (laughs) And (laughs) she said the second one is called Chinese Dentist. And yeah. I said, "Okay, tell me about Delfs again." <laughs> and, Chinese and that,
1: dentist is. Uh,
3: it's actually a good will idea. Be on television. Yeah. Before You'll hear. It. I, I wasn't dead. the right person for it, but <laughs> uh, no. And we stuff basically was, you know, they came and they said, "Jimmy, you know, just wants to do a show about young dads that are very involved." And uh, I have three young kids, and so it was right what I wanted to do. I mean, i had been in late night forever, and then i had been on The Office for four years, and I'd kind of had my fill. Of small relatable office stories, but everything that was going on in my life was family, 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 and it really felt like the only outlet for that was Modern Family. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and I, you know, I've been trying to develop, and this just felt like a great opportunity because the tone was what I wanted. They wanted to do multicam again, coming from. Late night television, where in front from an audi- uh, in front of an audience, loving stand up, loving multicams. Growing up, I was like, you know, I still I think there's work to be done in multicam. I think you can do a good multicam, especially for a family show.
1: And that was a big part of, of Jimmy and I's philosophy going into when we started this production company a couple of years ago. And that's what we wanted to do. We wanted to bring back the traditional multicam. And so when Charlie was into that idea, we just we really lucked out in that yeah. he was a dad that he he could write stories about in this subject area so well and he was on board with the idea of multi it's a tough sell it's a tough sell to comedy writers it's a tough sell to actors it's a tough sell was to a tough sell to the network I mean, when yeah. we went,
3: when we pitched the show um, and because Jimmy was in the room, we were able to pitch directly to the president of the network, you know, Bob Greenblatt. And he looks at us and they're like, "Okay, so you have all these babies? Why? do you sure you want to do this multicam? You should do this single." We're like, "No, no, no. We really want to do it. It's multi. a really good idea." And basically, it really was the the it was the tone was it's your funeral when he said, yeah. "Okay." Yeah. <laughs> that was it. It's so
1: funny when we were taping our when we were taping our pilot. Someone in the crew. I mean, there are just so many babies on the set because there are seven kids in the cast, and then you have to double. Some of them a are lot twins, of twins. Some of them are for triplets. Union rules and um, and so one of the crew guys turned to Jimmy and I at one point while we were taping the pilot. and He's like, "Why would you ever want to do a show with this many kids? Like, there's a reason nobody ever does this." And Jimmy and I were just like, "Well, we didn't know that. <laughs> like, it was yeah. it was our it was the first show. I mean, it was our first development cycle. We were lucky." Kids enough to always get the seem show great when air. you see them on shows. Yeah, <laughs> they seem pretty cute. So it was one of those things where we we just sort of like we lucked into this experience and we we didn't know enough to be jaded about certain things about it and so I actually feel like that really helped us. It worked
3: out, you know, the babies it's it's tough but we have a few moments in the pilot Uh, we had a whole scene written and it revolved around just one of our actors taking his child and putting him in a playpen and uh, then he had this whole kind of bit worked out. And when it, we came to tape it, he took the kid, put him in the playpen, and the kid started screaming. So he just picked the kid right back up. That whole part of the scene fell out. And it was just, it was so much better because it was a much more real <laughs> moment. And, <laughs> and the actors we have are so good that they, when they improvise with the baby, it's just better than anything you could write because it's so real and so in the moment. And that's when it really feels like, oh, this, you know, we may have something, we may have something here. And, um, you know especially when we get a uh, pilots pilots are rarely good it's very tough, tough. Uh, to get a pilot made to get it on the air is such a it's just such a crazy process but once we've now settled into the show and, and uh, are taping them and writing them and it really feels like it's kind of found its voice and found what it's going to be and it's it's really just a lot of a lot of fun. Okay. Um, so yeah, I hope you well, luck hope luck. you guys enjoy it. Hope your parents enjoy it. Good luck.
0: <laughs> um, Before we wrap up, uh, very briefly, let's uh, start with Amy and go down the line. Tell us what you are watching on TV, what your writers' room is talking about, what's getting you excited, anything like that.
1: Oh my God, what am I watching on TV? What have you just finished watching? I work all the time. She um, does.
2: <laughs> Don't steal mine. I got a good okay.
3: one. You know,
1: what's, you know what's weird is I have been watching The West Wing, a show that I never watched, um, and everybody loves it so much, and I never saw it. And so I felt like that was a weird gap in my TV vocabulary. And so that's a really random answer to the question, but awesome. I've been watching an episode of The West Wing every night before I go to sleep. That's great. Um, yeah, so that's Are you kinda, finding things in it? Uh, that kind of instruct your writing at all? I think that he is a great writer. I think that his tone is sometimes it, there's a self importance to it, which is um, not appropriate for his subject area. Sometimes, <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I think that that's some of that's the issue that some people took with like Studio 60 or whatever. You're too self serious about writing for this comedy show. But the the beauty of The West Wing, obviously, is that it's the White House. People are supposed to talk about shit like it's important because it is. So <laughs> um, I just feel like it's just a perfect. Match for the way he writes, and I don't know. I have nothing but respect for Aaron Sorg and I'm super into that show now. I've cried a couple of times in the last week watching The West Wing, absolutely. I don't know. So that's what I'm into. I mean, you, I've I like, cried when not watching The West I Wing. Cry, too. I cry <laughs> at least twice a day, sometimes more. Um, I watch a lot of things. I, I'm definitely not a TV snob at all. I love reality, I watch a lot of reruns of, of old shows. Watch a lot of 90210 reruns. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Don't you judge me. Mm-hmm. I'm judging you. Come on. Anyway, I like everything. Cool. That's great.
3: <laughs> Try. Uh, yeah, I'm lucky you didn't pick this one because I'm sure that, uh, Breaking Bad yeah. just ended. Uh, so. Yeah, oh, no. I know. Sorry. If oh, I you was
0: guys first, I could have yeah. got <laughs> to that first.
3: Uh, Breaking Bad. It and, almost um, never comes up. Yeah, they were excited for and Homeland to start back yeah. up. You know, dramas. It's funny because because I s- spend so much time in the comedy world that I prefer watching dramas. Yeah, I uh, dramas. do too. Um, yeah, it's just too Did much. And, and, uh, yeah, I do Downton Abbey and just Love sort that. of pretty easy to please when it comes to when it comes to dramas. Um,
0: well, those are good shows. Those, those are good shows. Easy yeah, to
3: and then kids shows. Honestly. Uh, cuz my kids watch tv There's one uh, there's a show called Phineas and Ferb which mm-hmm. is on at Disney which is fantastic and then SpongeBob anytime SpongeBob is on I will tune in
1: and then porn you watch a lot of constant
3: porn. yeah i mean it's, it's, it's amazing i have time for other shows <laughs>
1: yeah i like that you call them shows yeah yeah <laughs> right he, he calls them his stories right, right. Yeah. let's see what's going to happen it's very awkward uh, fred what do you yeah
2: want? breaking bad um You've had all I already these... said that. I know, man. <laughs> I know, I would have been so cool. Um, you've had these showrunners on. I, I, I got into The, uh, the Walking Dead, yeah. even though I'm not a zombie fanatic, but it transcends the genre. I think so. I got into Justified, right. um, Louie, and uh, yeah, uh, and Channel Surf. <laughs> right. I like Channel Surfing and coming in the middle of stuff. Uh, that's about
0: it. Nice.
3: I actually just saw a show. Yes. It's called, it's on, I, uh, Public television. is called Quilts of Valor or Quilts for Valor, and it was uh, it was these people. They, they I guess, it's a program that's been around. You, these people get together and they quilt to give to veterans. Very noble, but it's a competition show oh between God. these these three women who sort of have these apprentice quilters that they help make a quilt. And it's just they're so petty and bitter, but yet yeah, it's you know it's very it's oh, public yeah. access. It's very low. I want to do a whole value.
1: podcast just about this. Yeah, oh, yeah,
3: look it up. Quilts of Valor. I fe- find it because it's, I it's, it's fantastic.
2: A non-scripted show is MSNBC lockup. They always have that on Saturday, so you feel you're not so pathetic sitting at home.
0: Right. And
1: that shows. A, that shows a bummer though. You, could, right? you a could do worse.
2: But you feel you could things could worse. I've never seen a Housewife show. Any Atlanta, New Jersey.
1: Love them. Never I love them all so much. I can't help it. I can't help it. I not want to hate them and I love them.
4: We're, we're judging you, Amy. Ian, what are you watching on television? I watch. I, mean, I, I watch everything. People, I have had a sort of six month sort of moratorium after Game of Thrones and it was like Mm. is there any TV worth watching now? (laughs) (laughs) Has TV... I I love Game of Thrones but yeah I watch any old rubbish but I I mean I love... um American Pickers, I'm a huge fan mm-hmm. of that's one of my highlights. That comes up more often than you me. What? Genuinely, I think it might be the nicest show on television. Again, it's not comedy, so I don't mm. feel jealous. <laughs> right. And then also it's, it's just really selling nice.
2: it it's on the History Channel. Yeah, I know, it? well they I do I like is, history yeah. and it's not not well, the history channel. Well,
4: you channels. don't know the history of bikes then because right. um, I can <laughs> tell you more about bike history for <laughs> 100 years. Yeah. Um, but actually uh, funny enough a sort of guy I met through Twitter and stuff who's um, does another podcast. He uh, had a show called Impractical Jokers, which is on True TV, okay. which is like a sort of hidden camera thing. And I hate hidden camera shows, stunts in the public, and I hate these things. And so I used to do that sort of stuff and it genuinely makes me feel sick and I feel horrible I feel bad for the people and that sort of stuff <laughs> yeah. and he was like oh you've got to watch this thing we've got a new series coming out I don't know if you'll like it and I watched the first one about a year ago and I wept laughing and it's, <laughs> and it's so because basically as I said to him it's like four guys who have been friends for 20 years and they're all too old and ugly and badly dressed to be on TV <laughs> and they sort of you know they have like an earpiece in and they play tricks on the public right. but it's but really the trick the joke's on them and actually so Impractical Jokers is my sort of Probably my favorite thing at the moment, which I really—I would genuinely recommend it because I, it looks you think you to hate it, and actually, it's fantastic. And it—they it, must have made it for about ten dollars an episode. <laughs> we'll check it out.
0: Uh, please give a round of applause to our guests: Amy Osel, Charlie Grandy, Fred Stoller, and Ian Morris. Uh, a round of applause for everyone here at Nerdist Industries and Meltdown Comics, and for A267.
1: Now leaving Nerdist.com. Legenda por